When I was just a kid on the farm, I, now a lot of my sermons start this way, but you know, I'm just like life, life catches up with you at this point in life. When I was a kid on the farm, um, one of my chores was to go get the milk cows. Now I was about 10 or 11, maybe 12 at the most years of age when this particular story happened. But one of my jobs was to go get the milk cows and bring them in for their milking. We milked cows at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. Now, most of the time, the cows were in the barnyard at 7 a.m., so I didn't have to go get them. But at 7 p.m., they were never around. They were out in about 150 acres of pasture and trees and bush and sloughs. And I had two helpers, though, on this job. I had an old dog named Pup and my horse named Blackie. Now, it occurs to me that we weren't very creative about the names <laughs> for our pets. The old dog named Pup and my horse named Blackie. You can probably guess what color she was. We weren't very creative with that. But on this one particular occasion, I recall as we, were, we had come home from Red Deer, that was uh, the place where you went for various appointments and that sort of thing. It was winter. And in the wintertime in central Alberta, it gets dark pretty early. And so it was getting dark and there was a blizzard moving in. And I hopped on the horse and I headed out into the pasture. I don't really recall the dog being along on this one. He was probably too smart and just stayed at home. But I hopped on the horse and got out and we were out in the pasture and we're plodding along and it start, the blizzard starts getting worse. And the snow is swirling around in front of my face and it's pelting on my coat and it's getting darker and darker. And pretty soon I could not see anything. I could not see beyond the horse's nose, basically. And we're plodding along and I'm urging this horse to to go forward and we're looking for these cows and I'm calling the cows, but the wind is just swallowing up my voice. And eventually we just kind of stopped out in the field and I realized I did not know where it was home. I didn't know which was north, south, east or west. I didn't know if I should turn that way to go home or this way to go home. And we just didn't know where, I didn't know where we were out there in the field. And so I sat there for a moment and I listened and didn't hear anything but the wind and the snow and, and I just sat there on the horse and I wasn't terribly disturbed at that point. I should have been probably, I should have been terrified, but I just sat there on the horse and pretty soon the horse turned and started plodding off in a certain direction. So I just let the horse walk in that direction. And pretty soon, I thought I could see something. I could see a little bit of light maybe coming. And then I listened, and I could hear the roar of a tractor, and it was my dad. He'd hopped on the tractor and turned on the headlights on the tractor, and he's roaring out into the field to find his son, who he was starting to get a little concerned about by this time. And... Uh, Good ending to the story. Everybody was safe. The cows had already gone into the milk, milking parlor and they were ready to be milked and uh, they were smart enough to go in where they should be. But the old horse, she couldn't see any more than I could see, but she knew where the unseen house and barn was and she knew how to get there. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 
18 says, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. Now, that's kind of a strange phrase. We fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. How can you fix your gaze, your eyes upon things that you can't see? Well, we're going to look at 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 18 in its whole context there today. But I want to point out that even my old horse Blackie could fix her eyes on things unseen and knew the way to go when she couldn't see. Let's think about that as we tackle this passage together. Albert Einstein, when he was just a child of four or five years old, his father gave him a compass. And in his autobiographical notes, uh, Albert Einstein said this about that moment when he was given a compass. He said, a wonder of such nature I experienced as a child of four or five years when my father showed me a compass. I can still remember, or at least I believe I can still remember, that this experience made a deep and lasting impression upon me. Something deeply hidden had to be behind things. What man sees before him from infancy causes no reaction of this kind. So Einstein was saying that he saw the forces of magnetism in the world that could move the needle of that compass. He, he didn't, well, he, he couldn't see it, but he knew it was there. He understood all of a sudden that there were forces that we couldn't see that are there behind the things that we see moving. Our Bible points this out long before Einstein's five-year-old discovery that there are things that are at work in our world that we cannot see. So let's take a look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I'm going to pick it up at verse 7, and we'll read this passage together. It should be up on the screen for you, or follow along on your own device or in your own Bible. We now have this light shining in our hearts. But we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God and not from ourselves. We are pressed on every side by troubles. We are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. Yes, we live under constant danger of death because we serve Jesus so that the life of Jesus will be evident in our dying bodies. So we live in the face of death, but this has resulted in eternal life for you. But we continue to preach because we have the same kind of faith the psalmist had when he said, I believed in God, so I spoke. We know that God who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and present us to himself with you. All of this is for your benefit. 
And as as God's grace reaches more and more people, there will be great thanksgiving and God will receive more and more glory. That's why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. Then he says, so we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our eyes, our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. Amen. The word of God for us today. We live in a time when it's easy to lose hope, don't we? It seems like every day someone's losing hope. We are pressed on every side by troubles, it says here. We are perplexed. We get knocked down. We suffer. We live in danger. Our bodies are dying. This is the world in which we now live. And many are losing hope. Some are angry, some are scared, and some that once had faith in God have lost their faith in God. So what does this passage say for us today? Well, it it has a lot of hope for us, I believe, today. First of all, it says that we are like jars of clay. I I love that, that saying, we are like jars of clay. We have this light shining in our hearts but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. Does anyone else feel fragile? I feel fragile. A lot of times I feel fragile. Seems like every day I hear of someone else that's even more fragile than me. My body is fragile. I hear from friends. I had a a friend recently who called me up and said he had to go in for emergency heart surgery. He realized how fragile he was. Every day we hear of somebody else that's come down with some disease or sickness, or maybe somebody comes down with mental illness. We are fragile. There's no doubt about it. And yet we have this gospel, this glory of God that shines out in us. We're like this fragile jar of clay. Maybe it's even got holes in it. And the light kind of shines out through the top and out through the holes, but we are fragile and easily broken. Paul, the apostle who writes this passage in 2 Corinthians, he goes on in another chapter of it, in chapter 12, he's going to say these words because he knew how fragile he was. He said, to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Three times, three different times, I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. Keep that in mind there. So now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of God can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, hardships, 
persecutions and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, says God's power works best in weakness. Christ tells Paul that, and he's also telling us that. I think I need to hear that just about every day. Uh, We are fragile clay vessels through which God's glory and power shines, and it works best when we are weak. I have some pastor friends that I stay in touch with. Uh, There were four of us that went to Bible college together. And so we've stayed in touch with each other. We've all stayed pastors, surprisingly enough. For about 45 years, we've stayed in touch with each other. And we text each other from time to time and that sort of thing. And uh, the other day, one of uh, these pastor friends of mine, uh, he, he had been reading the uh, Today in Church History from Christianity Today. And it talked about Louis IX, a king in, Paris, in uh, France. And uh, Louis IX was an interesting guy, a devout Catholic guy, who was kind of hard to understand. Because on the one hand, he went off and on a crusade to Jerusalem. He led this military crusade where he was at the head of a military killing people and, um, and going off to liberate Jerusalem was the goal of what they were trying to do. And they failed at it, actually. So, you know, this military action, this, this um, evil of war. But on the other hand, Louis IX uh, visited hospitals on a regular basis. And when he was in the hospitals, he would go and visit the patients and he would empty bedpans. He was a very humble kind of king who was willing to, to do whatever it took to help the people in the hospitals. And so we were, my friends and I were texting back and forth about this guy. And my, my one pastor friend had this to say, and I want to read what his text said specifically to get it right here. He said, the glory of a crusade seems easier than the humility of emptying bedpants. I thought, right on, Andrew, that, that's a, a sermon right there. The glory of a crusade seems easier than the humility of emptying bedpans. You know, most of us are trying to show the world that we are strong, that we are powerful, that we are smart. I, I commented to my friends on this text messaging back and forth. I said, you know, yeah, I, I get that. I like the, lamp, I like the limelight I like to lead the charge, but I don't like to clean up messes very much. That's me too. And we all kind of recognize that we're always trying to be better than we are, more powerful than we are. Four pastors talking together, we're always trying to just say, oh, my sermon was good this week. No, we, we, we want to be humble with each other and say, God, you work in our weakness. God's strength shows through in our weakness. God works best when we are weak. He wor- works through our fragile weakness. The next part of 2 Corinthians 4 says that Jesus has conquered death. 
Verse 14, God who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and present us to himself together with you. Then verse 16, that is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. See, although we are fragile now, we have hope because Jesus conquered death. And he didn't just conquer death for himself. He conquered death for you. He conquered death for me. He conquered death for someone walking by on the street right now, driving by. He conquered death for every person. He even conquered death for all of creation. We're told that through his death, all of creation will be renewed. All of creation was groaning and is groaning for the final renewal when heaven will come down to earth and the two will be joined as one. That the new heaven and the new earth will be united and they will be together and there will be no more death. There'll be no more sorrow. There'll be no more pain. There'll be no more leukemia, no more cancer, no sarcoma. There'll be no more uh, diseases of any sort. We'll have health and we will be living forever with Jesus. Our culture, of course, likes to push aside death and forget about it, pretend that it doesn't happen. But the reality is that here on earth, there is death, but one day there will be no death. And we can even celebrate with our brothers and sisters in Christ who die because we know that they are safe with Jesus until the final resurrection, until the, the final day when heaven and earth come together. And so we, we know that Jesus has defeated death. And we, live, we will live with Jesus forever. I mean, it's, it's fun to think about what that's going to look like. Heaven and earth combined, a new heaven, a new earth, everything regenerated, new bodies, new health. We'll have lots of time. Maybe we'll be able to explore more of the universe. James and I were talking ahead of time about NASA and the various things that NASA can do now and how um, there's a rocket right now that is uh, um, docking with the International Space Station, just as we're speaking here now. We can do that sort of thing. But that's a, that's a tiny little part of the universe that we get to explore now. Imagine what we might be able to do if we've got lots of time and Jesus on our side. What might we be able to explore? That sounds pretty fun to me. I wouldn't mind exploring a distant star someplace. Jesus has conquered death, and we need not fear it. And we can rejoice that one day we will be with him. Thirdly, lastly, in this passage, I want to direct your attention to that phrase again that we talked about. We fix our gaze on things unseen. How do we fix our gaze on things unseen? Well, let's read verses 17 and 18 there. It says, for our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. We fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone. But the things we cannot see will last forever. 
The Bible doesn't tell us that we won't have troubles. In fact, just the opposite. All through Genesis to Revelation, we look and we see the history of humanity as trouble after trouble, disaster after disaster, war after war, rumors of war, sickness, troubles of all sorts. Doesn't promise we won't have troubles, but we're told that God will triumph over those troubles. And we need not focus on those troubles. We can look at things unseen. The older I get, the more I see that troubles and joy don't last for long here on earth. I've been married for 41 years, and I look back over that time, and I think, oh, it just seems like a a flash ago that I was getting to know my wife before we got married. And just a flash ago that we got married and just a flash ago that we were beginning to set up our careers and just a moment ago that we were uh, having children and just a moment ago when I was trying to find a career and then working at a career and then starting a new career and Maureen was doing these things and working at jobs and and we were both raising these kids and now we're raising grandchildren and helping with grandchildren. All of that has happened in a flash. (laughs) It goes by so fast. The troubles of this world, the the sicknesses we experienced, the things where we were sick and thought we were going to die, but we got through them. The troubles of this world went by in a flash. The joys of this world go by in a flash. And God is there in the midst of them all. And so we don't focus on the troubles and the, the difficulties of this world. We look ahead to what it is that God has in store for us in eternity. The troubles we experience now are small and don't last compared to an eternity with God. And so we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen, for truly the things we cannot see will last forever. What lasts forever? God lasts forever. God's plan lasts forever. Jesus lasts forever. The Holy Spirit lasts forever. Things that we can't see last forever. And so we look ahead at those things that are invisible. So in conclusion, what does a horse that knew the way home and a five-year-old Einstein that could sense that there was something beyond this compass dial and the word of God that says we fix our eyes on things unseen, what does all of that have in common? Well, it says that if we pay attention, we can sense things that are invisible. If we pay attention, if we observe the world around us, we can sense things that are unseen. And we can head toward those things. We can fix our gaze on things that are unseen. We can encourage each other with this. Recently, I've heard of how some of you are really, you've been really good at encouraging one another. We've got lots of people in our community that are going through difficult times. And I've been just so encouraged to hear of people that have reached out to those in difficult times, whether it's just to say I'm praying for you, whether it's to give practical help, whether it's to 
to uh, offer a word of scripture. I've heard of people saying, yes, this life is hard, but God is still there in the midst of it, and God is good. Isn't that right? God is good. Even when we can't see what God is doing, we know that God is good. Someone this week even reminded me of a song that uh, actually wasn't a reminder. It's a song that I'd never, I hadn't heard because I hadn't been paying enough attention, I guess, but a song called Even If that's uh, by the band Mercy Me. And I want to read these words because they're encouraging and they are words that we can use to encourage one another. But keep on encouraging one another uh, with the words of God's word. But this song is helpful as well. They say, sometimes you win some, sometimes you lose some. And right now, right now I'm losing bad. I've stood on the stage night after night, reminding the broken it'll be all right. But right now, oh, right now I just can't. It's easy to sing when there's nothing to bring me down. But what will I say when I'm held to the flame like I am right now? I know you're able, and I know you can. Save through the fire with your mighty hand. But even if you don't, my hope is you alone. They say it only takes a little faith to move a mountain. Well, good thing. A little faith is all I have right now. But God, when you choose to leave mountains unmovable, oh, give me the strength to be able to sing, it is well with my soul. I know you're able, and I know you can save through the fire with your mighty hand. But even if you don't, my hope is you alone. I know the sorrow, I know the hurt would all go away if you just say the word, but even if you don't, my hope is you alone. You've been faithful. You've been good all of my days. Jesus, I will cling to you come what may. Because I know you're able. I know you can. I know you're able and I know you can. Save through the fire with your mighty hand. But even if you don't, my hope is you alone. I know the sorrow, I know the hurt. It would all go away if you just say the word, but even if you don't, my hope is you alone. It is well with my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. Do you remember that old hymn? It is well with my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. Let's try it again. It is well, it is well with my soul, with my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. Even if you fill in the blank, 
even if, whatever your circumstances, my hope is you alone, God. Let's pray. God, we want to be able to sing that. Even in the difficult times, it is well with my soul. It's easy to sing when there's nothing that's difficult in our lives. But it's harder to sing, it is well with my soul, when life throws some difficult things at us, when there are troubles in our lives. God, help us to sing, it is well with my soul. Help us to encourage one another. Help us to see that you are there in the midst of it all and that you are indeed good even when things around us are not good. Is God good? Yes, God is good. And so we trust you in all these things. So God, we pray in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We pray by the power of Jesus triumphing over death. And in his name we pray, amen.